I'm Ryan. And I'm Rosie. We are the Voice of the Victim podcast. Every Thursday, we discuss cases that have been influenced by abuse in some way and try to make sense of these senseless things. We also try to identify the missed opportunities where people could have made a difference in the future of the victim. We hope to help others know what to look for so we can protect ourselves and our children. Subscribe to us on your favorite app and help us spread our message. And remember, if you see something, say something. We are all the voice of the victim. Vagina mic. Hello, testing vagina mic. Now testing penis mic. Penis <laughs> mic testing. What's mine? Ho mic. What? Test, say testing ho mic. Testing ho mic. Why are you still turning? Watch, watch. Oh. In five, four, three. Hey, everybody. This is Daniel. And this is Daniel. And that was a good idea. <laughs> so now you have a visual cue. I'll just turn the TV down from five, four, three, two, one. Oh, I had zero, no idea what you were doing. Then you go, Carla got it. It's hard when you can't Oh, by count. the way, this is Carla. Carla, say hello. Hi, this is Carla. Did You'll you... learn to count one day. No, probably not. I only have to count one kid, so that's enough. And this is Hoosier Homicide. A true crime <laughs> podcast by Hoosiers for Hoosiers or for anyone that doesn't know what a Hoosier is. Sorry, we're pretty sure that 66% of the people in this room have ADHD. Huh? So. Me? <laughs> the one that's the one that's never mind. <laughs> Even that's not relevant. I am heavily medicated. It dulls my senses, and okay. I blink a lot. Okay, all right. Let's blame <laughs> the medicine. <laughs> and but, she also uh, struggles every day and battles IBS. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't been bothering me here lately, actually. And you can't you really deny it, it because mm-hmm. you shit here just as much as she does. Yeah, but I've been having a better time. Recently, mm-hmm. I have changed. I stopped eating f- out, like eating food. I've changed absolutely nothing, and it just comes and goes. Yeah. Anyway, I ha- I'm g- making bumper stickers that have that say "I heart someone with IBS." <laughs> <laughs> what color would the bumper sticker be? Brown. Brown. It's pretty funny. And honestly. pink. Yeah. Brown and pink really look good side by Those side. Those would be the colors. Get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> good. Somebody's already turned off because they're like, these fuckers can't get to the point. Yeah. Nope. Anyways, well, we were doing real well before we recorded. Talking about that guy. What guy? The Johnson County man oh. that assaulted his fiance over whether or not NASCAR or IndyCar was better. Okay, but that was like three years ago. As yeah, well. but <laughs> how did that pop up on your computer? I think because I was looking up an old article real quick to confirm, like a death date or something and that was a sub link in it like you might also be interested in this but yes as a matter of fact i am interested in this but he was also upset that no one was helping him with household chores which i can relate to okay so we had thanksgiving i hope everyone had a lovely thanksgiving dinner meal it was pretty good giving of thanks whatever you call it the food was good turkey day dad yeah i cooked a fair amount of crockpot stuff i had a lot of cream corn yes daniel a lot i'm pretty sure i pooped a cob an entire like ear of corn. Does it reassimilate? Yes, it does. If you eat enough of it. You interesting. Dad deep fry a turkey. I did. That was fun. Yeah. It's always an experience because we do it every year, and every year, right before we we do it, we go, "How much oil do we use again?" So it's very <laughs> much like we're lowering, going up, <laughs> up, and then like for the first couple seconds, a little bit of it like overflows, mm-hmm. but then it stops. But you can't put a frozen turkey in, right? No. And you, right before you start, you go, we should get the fire extinguisher, every, just in case. Every year. And then I yeah. run home and get the fire extinguisher. Which is long since expired. Your fire extinguishers do fire. They do fire. They do expire, <laughs> folks. So. Fire. After how long, though? Uh, I don't know. It's 12 years or like... Then those five, are it could be five years. It do could they be have an expiration date? Not on, on it. it. Not it posted on it. No. Well, that's garbage. 
Yeah, that doesn't do well. Your that one in particular never expires. Maybe it then. does, but maybe. And then what do you do? You can't test it really. <laughs> we could. <laughs> it displaces all the oxygen in the room, though, so you can die. So be careful. So be careful. Do you know how to use it? I told you the other day. Say it again, real quick. Uh, I was gonna throw it down and then shoot it <laughs> since it's pressurized. It would be like, and then right? it would. That's how they killed Jaws, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> boom, boom. Except I think those were that was CO two. Uh, maybe uh, not. Maybe no. It was oxygen. Yeah, but you go with the acronym PASS. Mm-hmm. Pull. Mm-hmm. Aim. Got it. Just like I feel like that doesn't that shouldn't yeah. be in there. But that's whatever. exactly. Point it towards the fire. That's a you just described the exact thing I do when I pee. <laughs> Pull. <laughs> aim. aim. Shoot. Shoot. Yes. And oh. swivel side to side. Swivel. Oh, okay, I didn't Hang know on. that one. Yeah. Anything else happened good on Thanksgiving? Our aunt and uncle brought. Chips for the beginning, but just brought the type of chips you would eat with dip, tortilla chips, but no dip. Yeah, it's pretty typical. They <laughs> usually bring some kind of disgusting dessert. Yeah. Didn't this time. Let me take didn't. care of that one. Uh, our <laughs> other uncle only yelled motherfucker a couple times. I mean, loudly. yelled, yelled. Loudly. Yeah, with the toddler in the house. And it the house is not very big. You would hear that from every room, no matter yeah. where she was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It wasn't directed in anger at anyone no, here. He's just a loud dude. Yeah. <clears throat> so that was nice. No one burnt the house down with the oil. And then later, we, dad, you know, that oil is kind of expensive per gallon for my dad's definition oh, of expensive. Okay. <laughs> so what was it like $3 a gallon? It's or like, something? I think it's $10 a gallon. No. It's not. Mom said, I feel like that's what it was. Hang on. <laughs> so, anyways, dad didn't want to waste it by only using it one time. So, we came back over yesterday to deep fry anything that he could find. And so. it was kind of. I thought it was going to be a lot better than it was. <laughs> he and it's had nobody's, batter. It's nobody's fault. I just don't think we had the right kind of stuff. He, yeah, like we had chicken hot dogs, which chicken hot dogs... The and, ch- chicken hot dogs are bad. Don't do... I mean, turkey hot dog maybe, but no chicken hot I dogs. do the regular. He deep fried jalapenos Cheetos and... I didn't the, have one of those. I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> then he deep fried cookies... Some cookie chocolate chips that I made in the Oreo cookies. Those are kind of good. Like, the Oreo cookies you... are really good. I've had it before, though. They usually oh, serve like it. Nutella. Yeah, it is. It's a, Thank it's a you. Lot of money. Go ahead. Say you were right, Danielle. Go ahead. Say you that. weren't right. Your mom was right. <laughs> Got her. The deep fried cookies is pretty good. Kind of tastes like a funnel cake idea. Then he deep fried meatballs, but didn't cook them first, or because we don't know what we're doing, and so they were cooked on the outside and raw on the inside. So, yeah. So, we put them in the little toaster oven, and they actually came out kind of good. I had two of them. Really? <laughs> and then was burping up. I only had two deep fried Oreos, and then I threw up in my mouth two times. <laughs> I was on. burping up like oil. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> like, I didn't feel good afterwards. And then we watched a Christmas show on mute and gave our own dialogue <laughs> and story plot <laughs> not, to no, it. No, not just a Christmas show. It was a Hallmark Christmas movie. It was a Hallmark movie. with Gretchen Wieners as the lead because she's the lead in all of them. Yeah. And none for Gretchen Wieners. And they just switch around the me- male and female leads. So it's just like, who's going to be paired up this time? Yep. It's always the professional businesswoman has to go on an adventure to a, a small town. And write a book about and, it. Yeah. And sell the state manor but they can't find they have to fix it up first and they can't find the deed or they need to keep the christmas tree farm in the back of the state manor in the family for the little whole town to enjoy and santa appears and grants a magical wish stop it i just want that one (laughs) or they you know they bump into each other and they do witty banter but they're never like together i watched one today it was a netflix movie though it was called the holiday calendar or something like that Mm -hmm. in like she keeps bumping into this guy, but and they like each other, and they never exchange names or information or anything like that. It was really pissing me off. Then finally, after they saw each other for like the sixth time, they were like, oh, we should go out sometime. I was like, Maybe. this is stupid. Maybe. <laughs> Hopefully the directors keep putting us on the same set so we can keep meeting up. <laughs> I just, you don't, you know, magical Christmas meetups. Love is in the air during Christmas time. It's usually just kind of cold and damp outside. And depressing. Depressing. So, What was the one storyline mom told about? It was a poinsettia, poinsettia uh, farm. The poinsettia farm was <laughs> failing. Was failing. The poinsettias weren't turning red. So she had to reach out to a local botanist and then they fell in love. And they the plants bloomed and their love bloomed. I would love a job writing these. <laughs> right? We could do it. They could so easily become a softcore porn. And then, like, well, that's what I'm saying. You guys take the day shift. I'll take the night shift writing 
you know. The see the underbelly of. Gina works in a dildo factory. (laughs) And one day she goes to meet a new mold and they fall in love. (laughs) Make hot love. It's never. Ass to mouth. So wait, so we're saying though that there. Ass to goat. What? We're saying that there's a market for in the porn industry, Christmas themed porn, porn, but softcore porn, not no, real. We're gonna be like a, we're, we'll be like HBO, where at a certain time at night, the porn comes on. It's yeah. Christmas porn. I mean, I'm sure there's lots of Christmas porn, but it needs a good storyline. Women get into that shit. But then we we're talking about how dad always walks in at the point where a woman's boobs are out. And what did you say, Carla? Every time dad. <laughs> And he's like, and then he talks through the whole thing. Yeah. We're like, Dad. Dad. And then I said Daniel watched an episode of Outlander with me, and it happened to be one of the few episodes where there's no boobs or sex. So he never asked to watch yeah. another episode with right. me. Right. <laughs> That's why I love Game of Thrones. <laughs> yes, that is true. You're sleeping with your relatives all the time. I ew, mean, gross. ew, that got weird. <laughs> all right, what are we talking about? Yes, uh, I picked this case. Why do you have somewhere to be after this, Carla? No. Okay. I just stalled us for like 15 minutes. Yeah, so and mom's had the I kid for bad. a while, so I could type this out quicker. And then I picked a really long case, not knowing it was long. The article I found was really good. It was on the Indie Star, but the website was running so slow. So when I was trying to steal all this information, it was be- it took forever. And who's hungry? What are you hungry? Yeah, mm-hmm. I could eat. You hungry? Yeah, I'm gonna order some motherfucking pizza. Fuck yeah, all right, I'm staying forever. Pizza and murder, let's go. And this one's a little more gruesome. Find out if your mom wants some pizza. I'm sure she does, or dad. They don't usually eat a whole lot of it. Well, mom only wants cheese pizza. That's I'm ordering a cheese pizza. A delicious order, cheese pizza I'm gonna all order. to myself. We watched um, Home, Alone. Home Alone last night. Mm. It's great. It's on Stars. Okay. You, if you just want it on. That's one of those shows you can just have on. Yeah. Oh, I think I have the pizza app under the health section. <laughs> it's not called the pizza app. If there was an app called the pizza app, I would get it. The pizza place app. Which pizza place? All of them. I, I think I've got them all stored somewhere. Should I start? Because Dean only pays attention half the time anyways. Sure. And I can tell you one thing. I can tell in the last 45 minutes. Your drug wore off? My, yes, the Concerta wore off. You're at Concerta. That's fine. Go ahead. So this, I just picked kind of, it was the first one I saw that I wanted to read about. And then the article was literally a book. It was chapters long. 13 chapters, I think. 13 reasons why. We all right with Papa John's. Yeah, yeah. Get some sure. cheese sauce. I, I feel like Papa John's is the least likely to get diarrhea from oh. the massive amount of grease. I might yeah, be the it's most more. Likely. It's definitely more cardboardy than other ones. But it's kind of rewarding because we had it at school. Yeah, I never got it with though. the cheese sauce. That was I had cold. a loving mother that made my lunch. Yeah, you. I never brought my lunch. She didn't love you in high school. <laughs> yeah, you brought your lunch in high school. She's one of yeah. those. What a loser. I, okay. You're not even a vegetarian or anything. No, but I thought I was fat, so I wouldn't eat. Like, oh, the you stuff. wasted the skinny thinking you were yeah, fat. Don't waste the skinny. I wouldn't eat. Everyone else would get milkshakes, cookies, pizza. Bagels with that thick processed cheese. Yeah, oh, I'm and I would eat my sandwich. Okay, the carrots. Can, I don't know if we have a connection to any of this, because it's not like... I need just... to switch to a sandwich and carrot diet. Yeah. Not tonight, Satan. <laughs> this uh i don't know if we've said a connection though um give us a hint a good hint the north side of the state not you know it's northern indiana hobart uh close auburn notre dame is a connection again but a small one okay but keep going if i said murder capital I'd say Gary, Indiana. There you go. Which actually, it's no longer Gary. I <laughs> no, it's not. I don't know what years, it, like if it covered several years, it was the murder capital of the world or the U.S. I'm not, no, probably not the world, the U.S. Um, how far is Gary, Indiana from here? Gary, Indiana. Almost to Chicago. Gary, Indiana. Gary, Indiana. Damn near three hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Almost Chicago. It mm-hmm. depends on how fast you drive. Yeah. <laughs> because sometimes it can take you like three and a half, four hours to actually get to Chicago. Or if you travel at like four o'clock in the morning, yeah, when all the semis are going ninety and you go ninety, you can get to the north side of Chicago in three hours. And you go on especially like, when yeah. there's no traffic. I'm gonna go real fast, and if I hit anything, hopefully I die real quick. But this is fun. Go real fast. <laughs> so yeah, Gary, Indiana, three hours north, closer to Chicago. 
Chicagoans like to dump their bodies in Indiana. Scratch that This part. is about uh, Paula Cooper. She was born in Chicago to Herman and Gloria Cooper on August 25th, 1969. She sounds... What, you want me to make a joke about it? Yeah, I was for Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> there is no joke. There is no. no joke. Her sister Rhonda was three years older. Early on, the family lived in Michigan City, but by the time Paula was old enough for school, they moved to Gary, Indiana. Uh, the girls attended... Bethune grade school, a stone's throw from their home, and they went to nearby New Testament Baptist Church where Paula sang in the choir and helped with the little children's Bible classes. By the late 1970s, Gary's, Gary's, I say that and it sounds like a person, it's Gary, Indiana. Gary's downward spiral from mid-century boomtown was picking up speed. Manufacturing jobs were disappearing, white families were fleeing to the suburbs, crime was rising, like many black families still in the city, the Coopers were left in the wake of all of this. Gloria worked as a lab tech at a hospital. She had an assortment of health problems. None of them were aided by the drugs and booze she added to the mixture. So their mom liked to drink and smoke. Well, I don't know if she smoked. I'm assuming she smoked. Herman worked for the U.S. Steel and worked construction, but his employment was sporadic. He had a girlfriend on the side and would be gone for long stretches. When he returned, chaos followed. Herman and Gloria were a violent pair, drinking hard and arguing often, creating an atmosphere that was not just unstable, but dangerous. That's a lot of work. This has nothing to do with that weird demon house. No, it doesn't. (laughs) No, it doesn't. Yeah, the the demon house of Gary Indiana was bought by... Uh, a guy from Ghosts, Hunters, or whatever, Zach Bagels. Bagels? Bagels. And he bought it, did a weird documentary on it, and then bulldozed it. He spent a night inside of it, like, taunting the demons, too. Let's not. No. <laughs> uh, more than just a sister, Rhonda became Paula's caregiver. Yet, through their early years, they were unaware of an important family secret. Rhonda was not the child of Herman. He had, no. She had a different father. And it was a secret Gloria took to great pains to hide, even though she allowed Rhonda's father, Ronald. So she was almost <laughs> named after this guy that she wasn't. I don't know. They had to have been married. Ronald Williams to visit occasionally. She said he was her uncle. So like, that's your uncle, your dad, not your dad, just your uncle. That's so strange. Herman beat everyone in the house. So he was violent and a drunk. In 1978, when Paula was nine, her parents separated, but it was often fuzzy as to when they were back together and when they were apart. Once when Herman returned home to find the doors locked, he forced his way in. He entered their home, beat up their mother, and raped her in front of the two girls. Paula's short life so far is a horror story of drugs and violence. Father was uh, very abusive. He would do things like... uh, you know, beat her with an electrical cord. She was in and out of school. She watched her mother being sexually assaulted. All of these things led to a very, very disturbed young woman. One morning, Gloria took the girls out to the car in the garage. She put them in the back seat and started the engine. The garage door was closed. Rhonda said Gloria changed her mind at some point, and when the girls woke up, she said their mother was coughing on the lawn. So she tried to, like, kill both of her daughters and herself. And no one is functioning well. When Paula was 13, her sister moved in with her biological father because she said, this shit is fucked. Peace out. And I think her biological father was a good person and wanted to keep Paula as well. But the mom was like, no, you're not having her. So their dad had one less target. And Paula's beatings grew more frequent and more brutal. Even as her parents divorced, Herman never quite left the picture. Domestic violence galore. Everywhere. And I'm sure the resources in the 1970s was poor for women trying to, if she, her mom tried to leave it all, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. When welfare caseworkers visited the Cooper home, Herman and Gloria cursed it at them. They blamed Paula's problems on interference from the courts, from the school psychologist, and from the welfare department itself. When the caseworker recommended family counseling, counseling Gloria said she'd rather go to jail. Which, uh, I can kind of understand. <laughs> Like, no one wants to go to family therapy. Oh, God, no. No, but it it probably would have helped. By 1983, when Paula turned 14, she stayed away from home as much as possible. She smoked cigarettes and drank. She smoked marijuana almost daily. The devil's lettuce. She was tall but heavy. She took speed to lose weight. She tried cocaine. She skipped school routinely and was sexually active. All to lose weight. 
Mm-hmm. Seems a- and Carly, you're over here bitching about eating a sandwich and carrots at lunch. She spent six months at the children's home in Mishawaka and three months in the juvenile detention center, probably for truancy, I think. With each new address, Paula changed schools. She attended four high schools without ever finishing the 10th grade. Uh, that's not okay. That, oh, my God. That makes you really... Un- and I think her grades suffered, and she was... She developed a reputation as a bully. So the pinnacle of all the abuse came after her father visited the Gary police seeking advice on how to deal with a difficult child. Yeah, her dad had a hard time reining her in because he was a drunk and abusive. Frustrated, he asked the police what he should do with her. It was a family matter, they said. He should do what he thought was right. Uh-oh. Wow, wow. For Herman Cooper, that meant one thing. Another good old-fashioned beating. For what he had in mind this time, he needed some privacy. He took Paula to a woody patch near a spot where he kept a garden. They, I think Paula and Rhonda had both been there before, where he just beat them where no one could hear them scream. The state pulled her away from the Coopers. It, is, it isn't clear from the record where she was placed, but soon she was sent back home. So the system is failing this kid. In the summer of 1984, when Paula turned 15, she was left lonely, adrift, and took up with a guy she hoped might offer her a haven. The one thing he did for Paula was got her pregnant. Oh. Okay. Uh, you said, I thought you said Apollo. Apollo. So I was like, who's Apollo? No. So an unwanted pregnancy at the age of 15. Gloria, her, you know, Paula's mom, had been dead set against the pregnancy. She wanted Paula to end it. Paula refused and ran off. Her mother tracked her down and forced her to have an abortion. Uh, Paula wanted to keep this kid. And one of those things where you're, nothing is right in your world and you feel like no one loves you, so you want to have a kid so that they will love you and you'll love them. And it, But it never really works out that way because there's no promise that your kids will love you. That, that's true. Enter Ruth Pelk, P-E-L-K-E, was a gentle old woman, about 78 years old, and her stepson Robert and his wife were pleading for her to leave Gary, Indiana because please, please. There's got to be oh, oh, there's got to be a better place to live. <laughs> Given the city's downward spiral. There are abandoned houses everywhere, burglaries. Her own home had been hit 5 times in recent years, including when her husband was still alive. Ruth Polk was a very nice woman. For decades she opened her home and heart to the neighborhood children. She'd taught them the Bible using uh, Bible characters, and she stuck to a that she stuck to a board in her kitchen. I think she'd given the kids candy when they memorized scripture. She'd driven them to church. She believed there these were children who needed hope, and they could find it in Jesus. Well, Ruth Pelkey, we call her Nana. It was an affectionate name that the family had for her. She took a real special love for each one of us grandkids, and uh, we were all special to her. Um, she treated us all very fair and equal. Bill Pelkey remembers the kind warmth of his grandmother, Ruth. Her real love, her real passion, was telling Bible stories to young kids. We cut out pictures of Bible characters, and she put them up on this uh, board and tell the stories. It's what she loved to do. And so at the age of 78 years old, there was one more chance for her to share her faith with young people. So she decided she wasn't leaving. That's nice. The next day, Tuesday, May 14th, 1985, Ruth's doorbell rang. She answered it and found three teenage girls standing on her porch. She didn't recognize them, but she opened the door. One of the girls said, my auntie wants to know about Bible classes. When do you all hold them? Ruth wasn't up to teaching anymore, but she wanted to help the girls. Come back on Saturday, she said, and close the door. The girls, Karen Corder, Denise Thompson, and Paula Cooper, walked... Wait, I think I know this one. You might. Walked across the alley, sitting on a porch... That belonged to April Beverly, never trust a person with two first names, <clears throat> was waiting. Uh, the foursome, all ninth and 10th graders at Lou Wallace High School. I think they were they cut class a lot. So they were out in her neighborhood. The girls walked the 10 blocks or so to an arcade near 45th and Broadway where they spent what little money they had on games and candy. Okay. Okay. That's not nice. At 16, Karen Quarter, known to her friends as Pookie. <laughs> Why? Mm. Was the oldest. More than two years earlier, she'd given birth to a baby boy whom she delivered in a toilet. <laughs> it's funny, but like the most terrifying this thing is so, ever. All of this is sad. Like, I know. It's like bizarre. I, I don't know. And how much of it is, you know, just because of where they live? 
mm-hmm. and the situation that they're put in because of it. It's she managed to keep the pregnancy a secret from her parents until the child was born. So that's why it at 15, April Beverly was seven months pregnant. She was part of a divided family with 11 children. So and they were just like, well, what's one more? Yep. She bounced between homes, her father's and her sister's. Her mother was dead. Her father had remarried. On occasion, April benefited from the kindness of the old lady across the alley. At 14, Denise Thompson was the youngest of the four and the smallest. The other women were much more mature looking than her. So she still looked like a kid kid. Uh-huh. To date, the sum total of their illicit behavior was strictly small time. Karen had tried her hand at shoplifting. Paula, Karen, and April had pulled off a burglary a few days before and netted 90 bucks. Mostly the girls were truants. And on this Tuesday afternoon away from school, their immediate priority was to raise some money so they could go back to the arcade. (laughs) And they had one failed attempt where they walked up to a woman's house, knocked on the door, and said, your husband stole $20 for my daughter, pointing at the 14, the 16-year-old pointing at the (laughs) 14-year-old. That's like like when you brought me lunch one day and Mr. Clark asked if you were my mom. And you're just, and I'm like, oh. (laughs) I was in eighth grade. (laughs) Aw. You just looked at him and said, I would have had to have her when I was six. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> R.I.P. Mr. Clark. He's not dead, but okay. <laughs> and they knocked on the door, said, your husband stole $20 from my daughter. Oh, and he was naked when he did it. So the mom was like, uh, fuck off. <laughs> so they focused on Ruth Pelk. She seemed to recall the lady keeping a jar of $2 bills, which is really random because eventually those, they didn't make $2 bills anymore. Yeah. So, so maybe she was collecting him if she ever ran across him. But how many could that be? She thought the woman might even have some jewelry. The question was how to get it all. As they sat on the porch at her sister's house, April asked Paula to come inside. She might know where there was a gun. For the girls, a gun crime would be considerable step up the criminal ladder. But the gun wasn't where April thought it was. Oh, darn. She couldn't find it. Then it occurred to April something else might do. I have a knife we could scare the old lady with. Jesus. Soon, April produced a 12-inch butcher knife. As the scheme unfolded, April stayed back again, resting on her sister's porch because she was like seven months pregnant. And she didn't want the old woman to recognize her. Peer pressure can be a very big factor in a group of people. Oftentimes, kids or adults will do things in a group that they would never do individually. Karen, Paula, and Denise crossed the alley. They rang the bell, and soon Ruth appeared at the door. This time, when she answered, Karen said, My auntie wants to know where the Bible classes are held at. Could you write it down for me? Never trust kids seeking Bible classes. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Ruth said she no longer taught the classes, but she knew of a lady. I'll look her up, her telephone number up for you. She invited the girls to come in, and she turned to walk to the desk on the far side of the room. As Ruth Pelt crossed her living room to the desk where she kept the phone number, she felt a pair of arms wrap around her neck. Paula had put her jacket on the couch and run up on Ruth, grabbing her from behind. For a moment, the teenager and the old woman struggled. Paula threw Ruth to the floor. She's 78 years old. Like, that's old. Mm-hmm. On a table nearby sat an item some would describe as a vase, but others likened it more to a triangle snow globe. One of the girls picked it up and hit Ruth Pelk over the head. Paula demanded to know where Ruth kept her valuables. She threatened to cut her with a knife. Give me the money, bitch. Ruth looked up and simply said, you aren't going to kill me. Damn. Yeah. She began hollering for help. Paula's anger rose now. Then she looked at Ruth's head. Blood was streaming from the place where she'd been hit with the vase. Paula saw the blood and reacted in a way. It's a vase. A vase. Hit her with a vase. (laughs) Paula saw the blood and reacted in a way she would struggle to explain for the rest of her life. So I think she just went into a blind rage, like bloodlust nuts when she saw her blood. Paula reached for the knife. She grabbed it by the handle and began slashing. Okay, this is a little more graphic, by the way, if you have to skip forward for who knows how long. Because it goes on for a while. Just guess. Okay. (laughs) She grabbed the knife by the handle and began slashing. She sliced open the woman's cheek. She stabbed at her head without deep penetration. Ruth fell back flat on the floor, and Paula went to work cutting her arms and legs. The other girl stood by in disbelief. Karen Corder, the oldest, told Paula to stop it. Denise Thompson, the youngest, cried and screamed for Paula to quit. So they're not really participating right now. She stabbed the old woman in the belly and finally thrust the blade deep into the side of Ruth's chest. Paula looked at Denise. She told her to come hold the knife. But Denise refused. She said, fuck you. I'm not holding that knife. 
She looked at Karen, communicating the same message. Karen knelt beside the wounded woman, the blade remaining lodged in her chest, and Karen held it in place. I don't know what the point of this was to keep the knife in. Beverly, okay, April Beverly, who concocted the robbery scheme, initially held back. After the others went inside, she had come up to Ruth's porch and acted as a lookout, which we know makes you just as guilty. Mm-hmm. Now she entered the house. The old woman was lying on her back, her dress covered in blood, her arms and legs still moving. Karen, she noticed, held the knife as it protruded from the woman's side. To April, it appeared that Karen wasn't just holding it. She was wiggling the knife back and forth. Ew. Some of the more morbid curiosity, she would tell police later, Karen pushed the blade farther into the hole to see how deep it would go. At one point, she concluded, the bitch won't die. Karen estimated she held the knife in Ruth Pelk's side for upward of 15 minutes. Paula thought it was closer to 30. Ruth moaned through most of this. The old woman's torn and tortured face was too much for the girls to bear. One of them went to the bathroom and got a towel to cover Ruth's face and to try to smother the last breath of life from her. Paula and Denise said it was Karen. Karen said it was Paula. In her dying moments, Ruth managed to share a few last words. Denise heard her say the Lord's Prayer. And I think she also told Paula, you'll never get away with this. Sounds like she was right. Paula had not just killed Ruth. She had stabbed her 33 times. Some of the cuts on her arms looked like saw marks, as if the knife had been pulled back and forth. In other instances, the 12-inch knife had been wielded with such ferocity that the tip of the blade went through Ruth's body, pierced the carpet on which she laid, and then chipped the wood floor beneath. Because they always cover nice hardwood floors with carpet. (laughs) Worst of all, it appeared that Ruth survived the torturous assault for almost 30 minutes. Paula Cooper was on a path of destruction. She wanted to kill someone. They chose to kill someone who was helpless, someone they knew they could talk their way into. Where's your money? Where's the money? Where's your money? The pack mentality has taken over. The ringleader becomes empowered by the fact that she or he has followers. The mere fact that they're there encourages the ringleader to do bigger, bolder things than they normally would. Mm-hmm. I don't like this. I know. I'm sorry, but it's really important. You know, this is this is one of the cases that you read and you go, this is what capital punishment is for. Yeah. Yes. Ew. And it was all of them. They were just like, yeah, kill her. I think the youngest was really freaked out, but she was like, I'm leaving. And Paul was like, I'll fucking kill you if you leave. I can see where the 14-year-old is more of a victim. All all these girls have to have some PTSD from that, though. Mm -hmm. Paula and Denise began tearing the house apart, rifling through drawers, ripping items off shelves, and upending furniture. They found a sum total of... Guesses? Any guesses? $117. Ten. No shit. Ten dollars? Ten dollars. I feel like it's the price is right. Yeah. Do I get to go up on stage now? What game am I playing? Do I get to spin the wheel? Don't you win something if you guess the exact price? Yes. I don't know. So you win something and you get to go up on stage. Yes, Carly, you you have to pay for the pizza. A pizza. What? (laughs) Because if I make her pay for the pizza, effectively I'm paying paying for the pizza. pizza. (laughs) Uh, April joined in the search and quickly turned up a set of keys. This time when Paula tried the engine, it fired up. So I think they found a couple sets and we're like, they're trying to steal her car now. April went inside to fetch the other girls. The girls had spent roughly an hour in the old woman's house. They hadn't found a jar of $2 bills, though. <laughs> they hadn't found any jewelry, but it was time to go. The butcher knife was planted firmly in the side of her of Ruth's chest, just below her breast. Karen grabbed the handle and pulled it out. As they headed out to the car, Karen carried the knife at her side. She climbed into the back seat of the car and dropped it to the floor. The blade was still coated in blood. Might have been the apparent motive, but I believe the motive was to kill Ruth Pelkey. And the robbery was incidental. You don't stab someone 33 times because you want their watch. They went there to kill her. She was on the dining room floor. Uh, That's where my father found her body. It's the dining room where our family gathered every year for Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving and birthdays and Happy joyous occasions. And every time I would think about Nana, I would picture her butchered on that dining room floor. And it was just a terrible, painful thing to even think about Nana. Before they arrived at the video arcade, Karen asked Paula to let her out of the car. She wanted to go back to April's house. Paula let her out, but not before asking her to perform a little task. 
She wanted her to go back to Ruth's house and get the jacket that she had left inside. You never return to the scene of the crime. And don't leave your personal belongings no. behind. Uh, next, Denise said she wanted to go home. She asked Paula to let her out at a convenience store and she could find her way home from there. So everyone's kind of like, I don't really want to play video games anymore after all that. <laughs> I don't want to go to the arcade. When Paul and April pulled up to the Candyland Arcade, they were alone. For a few minutes, they just sat there and talked about what they'd done. Whether Paula remembered it or not, she had left more than just her jacket in the house. Inside one of its pockets was a newly filled prescription for... Birth control. Yes! <laughs> I was going to guess Viagra. <laughs> she had picked them up earlier that morning before school. It was just one of the clues she had left for investigators to find. So it's like her full name and her address is yeah. on that bottle, probably. Yeah, they find it, they pick it up, and they go, hmm, you think we should go there? <laughs> they're like, this sounds right. Paul and April drop passengers at various addresses around Gar Gary. So they're joyriding around picking up people. I think they picked up April's boyfriend and started drinking in the car. But details about where and how they spent their next two days was kind of choppy. On choppy is the wrong word to use. Yeah, I didn't write that word, actually. That's from, the, that's from the article. On Wednesday morning, the Robert Pelk phoned Ruth's house to check on her. She didn't pick up the phone and he decided to check on her in person. So he found a big bloody mess. He didn't have a key, I don't think, but was looking through the mail slot and could see her like in the living room and Jesus. was going door to door, banging on houses, trying to find a phone because we only have landlines. And I think he got into her house and her landline phone had been pulled from the wall. So it's like, so she couldn't call help even if she was alive still, it's, you know, or survived mm -hmm. in any way. And finally he found someone to call 911. By the spring of 1985, crime was pain was a painful reality in Gary. Its murder rate was amongst the highest in the country. It was on its way to becoming the murder capital of the United States. Gary was a city in decline. Poverty was growing like a cancer, but the violence was being spread through an influx of gangs with names such as the Family and the Black Gangster Disciples. Yet, as accustomed to crime as the city had become, the murder of Ruth Pelk shocked and angered people in a whole new way. There was an innocence of Ruth herself, the elderly Bible teacher. So you murdered an old woman. That was really nice. And it made people a lot more angry than just regular gang crime. Yeah. Off with their heads. <laughs> As for who might be responsible, the initial story carried some important information. Police were searching for a 15-year-old girl who'd been seen driving Pelk's Blue Plymouth. They were, weren't releasing her name, but the girl was a student at Lou Wallace High School and lived in Gary's Marshalltown neighborhood. As they combed through Ruth's house, police found the jacket with the prescription bottle. Eyewitnesses had seen Paula and the other girls in a car that matched the description of the missing Plymouth. And on the day Ruth's body was discovered, Gloria Cooper phoned police to report her 15-year-old daughter missing. She'd been missing since the day before. So they're like, this is her. Yeah, we got you. Young killers are rarely hard to catch. Most young people think they're not going to get caught at anything shoplifting a candy bar, let alone murder. They tend to think they're smarter than everyone else. And also, they tend to not cover up their crime so well. And they're oftentimes surprised when they get caught. Soon the police were at their school and they took Karen and Denise into custody. And I think they were bragging about it some too at school. That's just not smart. Yeah, That's and the friends they were carrying around saw the knife in the car and they're like, what'd you do, murder someone for this car? Question mark? And they're like, nah, 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 nah. nah. I use that to kill something else. Well, Bird. you never know when you're going to need to carve a pumpkin, Carla. That's true. <laughs> With red paint. A bloody on pumpkin. Of, on the end of the knife. Detective William Kennedy Jr. had been looking for Paula Cooper and April Beverly for the better part of two days. When his phone rang around midnight, the news was good. They had turned themselves in. I think he was also did part-time security at their high school. Prosecution for the state, Jack Crawford, sought the death penalty for Karen Corder, 16, and any of the girls moved out of juvenile court. However, the judge on the case, James C. Kimbrough Jr., despised the death penalty. So, Ew. and this is where it's interesting because we have four black girls that murdered an old white woman, a white prosecutor that is a big fan of the death penalty. He got the most, the most death penalty convictions in the state. And then you have a, an African-American judge that vehemently despises the death penalty. So it no one really knew how the trial was going to go. And that also meant they weren't, he wasn't offering any deals because the, pro the prosecution 
the prosecutor liked the death penalty so much, he was like, I'm not offering In you Indiana, a deal. In Indiana, do you have to, is it the judge or the jury that decides? It depends on your plea. Mm. So because he's not offering your deal, you have to go to trial or you have to plead guilty. Right. And then the judge decides. So she's arrested and put in juvenile, the juvenile facility, which I don't know the name of, but she behaved so violently, they had to move her to the jail. She busted a couple correctional officers upside the nose and broke someone. And, you know, then the officers even there don't like her because she killed an old lady. Yeah. She no. she punched them right in their panda puss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. By And then August 1985, about the time she turned 16, Paula began receiving a series of private visitors. Two were male correctional officers, Bernard Rooster, Rouster, 25, and... Parmalee Ranger, 27. A male recreational therapist, Michael Dean Lampley, 40. Why were they coming to visit her for private meetings off duty? I don't want to say. Yeah. They were having sex. What is butt sex? <laughs> having and sex with an inmate. $2. <laughs> a jar of $2 bills. Yes. And I always am like, well, this is rape, officially, because, well, and she... Hadn't even turned 16, I think, for some of it yet. Like, was two weeks shy. So that's the age of consent in Indiana is 16, which it should be 21. Mm. And then I was like, well, that's rape by default because she's a property of the state. In 1985, you could have sex with an inmate. In anyone. It, You're saying anyone could mm -hmm. have sex with an inmate. Yeah, including employees of the state. So it wasn't illegal in... I think all, in 1986, still, it wasn't illegal. So no one was prosecuted. A couple of people resigned. Someone, was, I think, was fined some money. But they did change the state law because of that. They're like, oh, I see where this is kind of bad. <laughs> where you could have sex with an inmate. It doesn't look really good. So we should fix that. <laughs> and they did. Her lawyer, Kevin Relford, was searching for a viable strategy to save Paula's life. And the evidence was overwhelming, and the prosecutor was determined to make a death penalty case against her. So there was no plea deal. We've got Paula's childhood had been bad, but it didn't seem to add up to an insanity plea. Her youth had been relatively clean prior, like her priors had been fairly mild. Some breaking and entering, but nothing that was, you know, extremely violent. And nothing compared to this brutality. Then there was the jury. Any panel drawn from across Lake County would mostly be white. And Paula was, like we said, a black teenager who had killed an old white woman. And all of it added up pretty grim. So she had to plead guilty. And hopefully the judge, who doesn't like the death penalty, wouldn't send her, sentence her to death. Which, I don't know what else you could do to go, like, I feel like that was a smart decision. Mm -hmm. Denise Thompson went to trial in November of 1985 after the prosecutors withdrew the death penalty charge, concluding that she was more of a bystander to the crime. So she's the 14-year-old. She was sentenced to 35 years. Holy shit. The 14-year-old? Mm -hmm. April Beverly, who came, in, came up with a robbery idea but waited outside during the killing, pleaded guilty in exchange for a 25-year prison term. Karen oh submitted God. a guilty plea before Judge Kim Burrow and was sentenced to 60 years in prison. So she didn't get the death penalty. Even she was involved. He didn't even give her... No, and that's, you know, every 12 hours is a day. So that's 30 years. Uh, so that's, I mean, I think that was the right thing to do to plead guilty. Yeah. Paula's lawyer said he came to talk strategy and the plea was ultimately her decision. Paula would recall only three brief meetings with her attorney who said she assured her the judge opposed the death penalty and would find sympathy on her. She pleaded guilty April 21st, 1986. But then she wasn't sentenced right that moment. Mm -hmm. So she just entered her guilty plea. In between that and her sentencing, a Franciscan friar from the Vatican came to speak with the state prosecutor. He told Crawford he was from Rome. He offered a letter validating his credentials. And he brought him a very simple message. Pope John Paul II and the Vatican were not pleased with Crawford's decision to seek the death penalty. The Vatican came and said, we aren't happy with the state of Indiana seeking the death penalty. And Crawford, the prosecutor, was a Roman Catholic and he'd gone to... Notre Dame. Yes. He knew the church's opposition to the death penalty, but he explained to the friar this was a legal decision, not a religious one. And the friar left unsatisfied. 
Then Paula's attorney came to inform Mr. Crawford. Did they withdraw his membership from the Catholic Church? They might have. Paul's... They put his picture up. This man's not allowed to enter. <laughs> he can never come to Rome, ever. ever. You've been to Rome. I've been to Rome, and I've been to the Vatican. Is it nice? Yeah, shit's nice. Shit's nice. How are the toilets there? I don't recall. Mm. I don't think I peed in the Vatican. Oh, well, that's no, but we're sure you had to shit at some point. Yeah, well, I probably shit in Rome, not in Vatican City. Does the toilet, does the water flow the opposite direction? direction? I think that's a myth. No, but... but, Or is that Australia? I think that's Australia, but when I was in Italy, I peed in a hole. Oh, in a bathroom hole? Yeah, the women's, the men's had toilets, but the women's had holes. Well, if that doesn't explain life, then I don't know what does. Huh. Huh. (laughs) So what'd you do if you had to shit? Like, you had to kind of squat over the hole. Well, technically speaking, That's that is it. how our bodies are designed to shit. So it's really so with really us it's in mind. So really, it's ergonomical. Yeah. Carla, <laughs> oh my everything God. has to be about sex and gender. <laughs> when Paula's attorney came to inform Mr. Crawford that he could not execute Paula because she was a ch- child. No, the you could be executed at the age of 10 in the state of Indiana. Holy shit. Holy shit. So he said, <laughs> "You can't." Kill I wonder her. what circumstance it would take for them to execute a ten-year-old. There probably was at some point, yeah, and that's why the law became the law. They just have it, but it's like it. medieval if you think about it—a ten-year-old. So he said, "You can't kill my client because she's pregnant, uh, because she's having sex with those inmates coming in and out, and you can't kill a pregnant person." She's pregnantante. What? <laughs> Nothing. But. How did we determine if she was pregnant or not? Uh, with the pregnancy test? Yes, which is very easy to do. And she was not pregnant. And it was assumed she attempted to, to say she was to get sympathy and avoid the death penalty. Never mind the fact that she was being raped by older men. I was like, no, no, no. It's your fault. You're promiscuous. On July 11th, 1986, Paula Cooper was sentenced to death. And the judge really struggled with this, like because he'd never given the death penalty before. He was was not pro death penalty at all, and I think he went on and on and on at her sentencing, trying to talk in circles. Hadn't decided what to sentence her to. Like usually, you they wrote it out the night before. Mm-hmm. He didn't know what to do with himself, and her relatives were there in favor of the death penalty, like eye for an eye. You need to rectify this situation the now. The deceased. Mm-hmm. Fam- okay. Yeah. Sorry. Like, oh, this old girl's family was there sitting there going, you need to well, put this bitch to death. Put her down. None of her family was there. Her mom moved to like Georgia or something. She's like, fuck this. I'm out. And the dad wasn't there. I think her sister was around and her grandfather might have showed up pleading for her life. But Ruth's family was like, you should execute this person promptly. And promptly. But her case was taken up by attorney Monica Foster, who organized a campaign which presented an appeal signing signed by two million people to the Indiana Supreme Court. Pope John Paul II obviously made a personal appeal to the Indiana governor at the time. And that was in September of 1987. So pretty quickly, a separate appeal to the United Nations served one million signatures. And like this was a big deal. Like, but world- it would have taken the governor of the Indi- uh, the governor of the Indiana. The governor <laughs> of Indiana is the only person that can actually overturn the death penalty. Yeah, government. like issue a pardon, or can Not a judge a go in, or can a judge on an appeal overturn it? I guess maybe, maybe. Yeah, no, the judge, the judge can issue. Okay, the governor could issue a stay of execution. I know that. Maybe he. I don't think he can overturn a death penalty. He can part. I think. Or does it take a presidential pardon? I don't know. I well, think a pardon, can the president pardon you from death. Yeah, yeah. Well, a pardon means turkey. you're forgiven of your yeah, but that's crimes. a mm. Huh? A pardon? A pardon well, means you're okay. They okay, probably could there, commute there, it from yeah. the death penalty yeah. to life. Because I was like, I would she think wouldn't the be governor. Pardoned. No, the governor could. Because didn't what's his nuts pardon Nixon, and everyone was like, and yeah, he could be commuted from the death penalty to life without parole. And I'm assuming the governor probably could do that if he wanted to, but definitely. The ju- a judge could overturn the death penalty, but you have to win a case. You have to present it. It's an appeal, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So this was a worldwide thing. Italy, it became, it was like the definition of viral before there was internet. Everyone knew about this and was appalled by the United States in our barbarism. People all over the world, they were pissed. They were real mad about this. But Bala had spent three years on death row. 
three years in segregation, six years in relative isolation, confined to her cell 23 hours a day, but she was not executed. Ever? No. Hmm. Well, hold on. She was also a violent inmate, and she was at the Indiana Women's Prison, and so she was the youngest person in this, to ever be convicted of the death, to sentenced to death, and then she was considered one of the most violent in, female inmates. Dang, I don't like that. But she was transferred to Rockville Correctional, which is like 50 miles west. And she did really well there. And I think their shows, I don't know if it's TLC that has something about Rockville and their rehabilitation setup is so much better than a lot of prisons. Like they're all about their therapy. and So they're not just housing people. No, or just not straight punishment. It's rehabilitation. Well, Indiana Women's Prison, I don't think is on the same level. I know, and I think it's Investigation Discovery has babies behind bars because IWP is known for their baby ward. Right. Which I did classes. I'm going to say classes loosely, but where the inmates are there, as long as you're convicted of a nonviolent crime, you can have your baby and keep them with you. It feels like a big daycare kind of, and you have your cell with a crib in it. Like it was no big, I mean, in kids up until the age of two. They can say they would know no different. Can you imagine telling people I grew up in a prison? Mm-hmm. Like that's a good Yikes. story. I mean, I'm, I bet it. it otherwise, they this give, house is a prison. <laughs> otherwise, they give them to Amish people if they can't keep them. Like there has to be room that's for worse you because the Amish don't go to the dentist, dentist and they'll pull or the, your teeth out. And they, fuck that. No, I don't. If you don't have a relative to take them, they got to go somewhere. Either you know the foster system, Amish people. I'd rather take. I'd rather be sent to the foster system. Keep your teeth. Keep your teeth. Go to the doctor. She was released in June of 2013 when she was 43 years old. How was she released? She served her time. She was commuted. So they they were able to commute her sentence. Yeah, which I think is the right thing being how young she was in Mm -hmm. her childhood. I knew I no longer want her to die and I wanted to do whatever I could do to try to help her. And I learned the most important lesson of my life, the healing power of forgiveness. Because when my heart was touched with compassion, forgiveness took place. And it brought a tremendous healing. My grandmother did a lot of praying. And she had a special love for young people. So people like Paula Cooper that my grandmother really had a concern for, I'm convinced she would have forgave Paula Cooper. It's kind of crazy that everyone put themselves through all that. Mm -hmm. And she didn't even actually get the death penalty. No. Seems like that could have been avoided. <laughs> but she, I mean, she was there from 15 to 43. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, that's a while. But on Memorial Day, two years out of prison and 45 years old, Cooper left goodbye notes to her friends and family. She wrote to her fiance, I took a life and never felt worthy. The next morning, she shot herself. Society handed Paula Cooper a death sentence and then a reprieve. She worked hard to redeem herself, but in the end, her guilt and shame were a death sentence, too. Damn. So all that. She probably just wanted to die the whole time. The whole time. And I think, I don't know if it's like the Shawshank Redemption effect where you spend so much time behind bars and then they're like, here, go out into the world where you know nothing about nothing because you've been separated for so long and succeed. And well, it, that's what people will turn around and just commit any crime to go to back. Go back. To jail. Yeah. So instead of committing a crime, she killed herself. Yeah. And... I couldn't figure out how she did it. I don't know if she shot herself or what. Some people said, you know, just guilt, that she did feel guilty. I think some of her, the Ruth's relatives did forgive her and didn't want her to actually be sentenced to death. And I don't know if she had a boyfriend on the out that was waiting for her at some point, but I don't know if they, I don't think they stayed together. So the inmates can get boyfriends, but okay, cool. Yep, but you get, okay, go on. She felt really guilty, obviously. And... Some people have said she was afraid that she might hurt someone else. Like, and that's all psychological. I doubt she would actually stab anyone else. Then others said she was just miserable. And it's like, or the effect of like living outside the, you know, prison walls. I really feel like this whole story, none of it had a happy ending. No, but I think it was big on law. Do we ever really have a story with a happy ending? Like uh, one where someone, the people get what they well, deserve. Well, like one where someone gets a hand job at the end. <laughs> We can try to find something. <laughs> I think I really was interested in this, though, because the laws, like, you can have sex with an inmate until 1986, and then you can be executed at the age of 10 until this, and they're like, God, we should really increase that to at least 16, which they did. And so so big laws were changed in how everyone around the world knew about it. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it wasn't until that long ago, like people in custody, like I think I watched a thing on or read an article or something in the state of New York, like someone was being arrested for something and they were left alone with the police officer and he ended up like raping her. But they were like, that's not rape. That's not rape. You were arrested. And it's like, no, I'm just arrested. I'm yeah, not. So I think a lot of that has changed mm-hmm. because you can't do that. No. Yeah, I mean, that shouldn't be a crime. She was under arrest. Yeah, you no. Know, and so, like, you're <clears throat> under arrest. You have, like, you have no voice. You have no you're rights scared. all of a sudden. That's a police officer. You're the one in trouble. And then they rape you. Always ask for a parent or attorney. Always. Yeah. So it's just, it's been like things like that. I'm sure it's Yeah, because you know if he had clawed, her eye, clawed his eyes out, she'd have been charged with assault. Assault yeah. of a police officer. Of yeah. Mm-hmm. So That's why it's always good for them to have cameras and shit now everywhere Everywhere. Yeah. And police should. You don't need that the power balance. You know, everyone like, should fund for their police officer to have those cameras, the body cams. Yeah, the body cams that protects everyone in theory. Closer, better. Mm-hmm. It's better than nothing. Nothing. Yeah. So I think she did plead, like she did when they first arrested her. She did tell her story, and her mom was like, "Just tell them what happened." And, and I was like, "No attorney." And, you know, so she Shit. had a story. She confessed at the beginning, and then I think tried to change it. So I'm like, no, the, those girls are lying. This is what really happened. And they're like, that's kind of those sheep are lying. <laughs> they're like, this story. Both of your stories are pretty much the same. Yeah. Like, so <laughs> even though you said they're lying, you're both telling the same thing. Yeah. And I'm like, thanks, mom. Like, you didn't protect me from my dad for my entire life, and you were a drunk and tried to kill us one time, and then you disappeared after I killed someone. She so. probably just was all of these emotions built up in her and when she started killing the lady she just was like I'm some people this. said that she saw her mom when she started killing this woman like inside or her dad you know so like i'm visualizing killing someone right. else that's hurt me my entire life like it never said anything about sexual assault but i guarantee she was by someone because she was uh vulnerable mm-hmm. uh, you know a runaway that's not she probably just was like i'm that was the only way for her to release anything. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, a lot of people will internalize rage, and she just happened to externalize it, which... That one time. That one time. But I don't... I think she definitely deserved to go to prison probably for as long as she did, and mm-hmm. all the other girls, I think, got what they should have gotten. I kind of feel bad for the 14 Yeah, time, that she you was... you are impressionable. And you probably wanted to be considered cool and hanging out with some of the bad girls, and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, no, my life is ruined. Yeah. So I'm not sure what happened to the rest of them. I picked the wrong day to hang out with them. <laughs> the wrong day to hang out. I should have stayed in school. Be cool. Stay in school. Yeah. But, yep, the system really failed her. Let her fall through the cracks. Kept sending her back to her abusive family. And so I think that was a part of why she didn't deserve to be executed. And Indiana has not executed a woman since, like, the 1800s or something. Like, hmm. there's no record of them executing a woman in the state, which shocked me. I think there is a woman that committed a lot of crimes in indiana and ohio and she's on death row in ohio hmm. and so I, we can't I claim think, her uh, well she committed some crimes in here but she, instead of being on indiana women's prisons death row she's there because she committed so what you're saying is the death row was for women is non-existent it's there but it's empty mm-hmm. um i think i'm pretty sure there's no woman on death row right now but i will have to double check well interesting but that's what i got we did it. We, we did got it. through an episode. It was a little rough, but um, uh, it wasn't what I was thinking of, but I'm not going to say what it was. I, I think was I know what you're of. thinking of. Yes. I do. I do oh. know what you're thinking of. And we actually have a fan that I, that is doing a lot of research on that for when we choose the case. I was going to say, I thought that's what we were talking about. That one will probably have tons of info- information on yeah, it. Yeah, it, that one is big. Can I'm not going to say it, though, because I don't want you guys to go look at it. So, on. yeah, that was interesting. Jordan has, was doing research for this. For the case you're thinking of. Mm-hmm. So I'll connect okay, with cool. him and say that we want to do that soon. I just was saying, you know, just saving it for yeah. a rainy day. It's about to snow, though. Yeah. Oh. But I think some of the fascination with this stuff and true crime in general is like, you know, rich people, rich white people mm-hmm. yeah. get murdered or they are the murderers. And that's the fascinating aspect of it. So mm-hmm. this case was different. Different, yeah. It was just being set up to fail mm-hmm. and which is and that makes it sad i'm i get real interested in the law part of incompetency of our laws mm-hmm. and when they're like oh we should fix this it's bad yeah we have well we're gonna wait and until this, something bad happens and they fix two laws just because of her mm-hmm. and which oh, so thanks yeah 10 year olds can't be executed now and you can't have sex with inmates legally yeah. but it still happens 
when I was at the Indiana women's prison, a higher up was having sex with an inmate, got her pregnant and then shot himself on the entryway. I remember that. Yeah. On the, in 2012, the entryway steps. And when I came in the next day, you could still see a little bit of blood in the concrete. And I was like, I'm glad I wasn't here today. Cause I wouldn't have been able to leave. No, they have it on lockdown. Happy late Thanksgiving. What's next? Christmas. Christmas is around the corner, folks. Yes. Merry Chrysler. (laughs) (laughs) And for honest to goodness, stay Stay out of the the corn. corn. You can find us on iTunes, Twitter, Instagram, and at Who's Your Homicide. And you can listen to all those places. Bye. Bye. (laughs) I just wanted to yell something, but I'm glad I did. I was going to be like, hurry, Daniel. The chocolate sauce is dripping everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Give me a paper towel (laughs) and a slice of pizza. (laughs) Ah, you're Ah, fired. You're fired.